it is time to tune up the band. And oh hell yeah! <laughs> For it is episode 100 of the Sweet Kinwag podcast. I am Sam, joined by Stone Cold Dan and Stone Cold Reardon, or sorry, Stunning Reardon. As <laughs> nice, nice. we continue, hard ready for the wacky world of professional wrestling. I guess that makes me the ringmaster now that I think about it. Afternoon, how are we doing? Oh, hell yeah, son! Oh, hell yeah! I need to put an, an auditory warning on for the, for our, for the crew. Um, okay. I yeah. apologize in advance, listeners. You're going to be hearing a lot of that. You, it, it's just, it is what it is. You uh, warning, warning, warning. Uh, we will be entering throat and ear burner mode. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, Dad. Um, you're going to be doing a lot of stone cold, Dad. What? You're going to play our stone cold. What? What? <laughs> oh. One episode. What? Two episodes. What? Three episodes. <laughs> no, no, what? what? Stop. Stop it. What? <laughs> what is now? Right now? You're in, you're in a first episode. Had a pair. Another pair. Another bear, whiskey, tequila, vodka. <laughs> Holy shit! We are, we are, for, we have jumped the shark for already. Our, for our listeners, just welcome to hell. What? Honestly, yeah. welcome to hell. This is this the seventh circle of hell? People keep telling me. People keep saying. No, this is the three hundred sixteenth circle. <laughs> oh hell yeah! Oh, I I hate you for that one. I hate you for that one. Very. very Oh, my rage is actually... Oh, it took a hundred episodes, but Reardon now hates the pair of us. I'm fucking done. This will be my last broadcast. I'm out. Dante Alighieri's got fucking nothing me. on me. Jesus. <laughs> oh, gosh. 100 episodes, guys. This I know. is uh, crazy. We finally hit triple figures. It seems so unbelievable, but at the same time, time has gone... So far, time is merely a construct now. All right, so think we, about it. We have, we're calling it quits here, lads, right? <laughs> we have officially hit the point where anyone trying to listen in now has archive panic. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that. I mean, I mean at, the, at this point now, we have, like, established lore and characters. <laughs> yeah, like... <laughs> oh, my it's, goodness. It's, it's everywhere. It's 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 everywhere and nowhere, and then people are going to get panicked because oh god, where do I start? Where do I begin? Yeah, yes. We've officially become. I was going to say the game of Thrones podcast. Maybe that's a bad omen. No, no, that's a, that's an that's an awful omen. That's a terrible omen. We become the better call Saul of the podcast. There we go. There we go. I, yeah. I, I accept that. Crazy. What's so, another show that had a very good start and then has gotten better as it's gone on? Or a show that's had an awful start and got better as it's gone on? Star oh, except Diver Star Trek The Next Generation, that's a good shout. <laughs> the Orville, perhaps. No. <laughs> oh, all right. We give you this podcast. Thanks to those lovely people over at SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and forever pending other platforms. Guys, we have been pending since episode one. We are <laughs> still pending. 
in episode 100 and we will always 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 be pending i feel like i really gotta pull my finger out and get on those other platforms <laughs> Just, yeah you know we'll get there we'll get there okay like, i'd say that we get to 199 and like i never really did pull my finger out did i <laughs> oh also i'm gonna say it before we get to the news patreon.com forward slash sweet chinwag where you can help uh, help the channel out in any way, shape, or form, and actively contribute to the podcast in terms of. You episodes. can be responsible for episode two hundred happening. You yes. absolutely can. Also, and bear that weight on your shoulders. <laughs> it's a terrible weight. Someone's got to carry it. <laughs> got to carry that weight. <laughs> uh, right now, as of this recording, you can get early access as well to being proud episodes that are coming out every Wednesday throughout the month of June. One that's probably going to be coming out the first week of July as well, but don't hold me. No, it probably is going to come out on the last week, or first week of July. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's all right. If we need to, we'll just release it on the Friday before. <laughs> that is actually a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. So, um, before we get on to our episode 100, um, how convenient for episode 100 that the entire that all wrestling hell landscape... breaks loose. Yeah. That, that just all hell breaks loose within the wrestling landscape. So. Dan, the floor is yours for this week's 100th edition of Wrestling News. Wrestling News, son. What? What? That is on Is that what I was doing? It sounded like it. Subconscious. I All have right. to listen to a lot of it. Okay, Dan. So, what the hell is going on? <laughs> let me let me break this down as simply as I can. <laughs> oh boy. So, an investigation has been led by the board of directors for WWE, which was then published by the Wall Street Journal, alleging that. Vince McMahon had a, I believe, and I quote, consensual affair with a with a female member of staff at WWE at WWE corporate, um, and then had her sign an NDA, and then kind of from this, Vince McMahon has now been asked to step down as CEO. Um, and John Laurinaitis has also been implicated um, as part of a, I'm going to say, practice of, and I feel horrid saying this sentence, being passed like a toy to John Laurinaitis. Yeah. Uh, uh. Um, in this time, Vince McMahon has... Uh, and I quote, voluntarily stepped down as CEO, which I think is, it, I'm going to say, the corporate voluntary, which is, you're doing this so we don't actually forcibly make you do it. Mm. Um, and has been replaced by Stephanie McMahon in the interim. Um, obviously, while this investigation takes place. There's a whole lot of fucking unpack, isn't there? 
There is a lot to unpack. I mean, not even to think about what happened last night when he just came out and said, then, now, forever, together, enjoy the show. And people were cheering for him. Oh, yeah. It was I exactly knew that was what was going to happen. Yes. People were going to disregard this situation almost immediately the moment he comes out and... Oh, look, he's doing the weird chicken walk again. Oh, yeah. let's all clap and cheer. Oh, man. Um, well, is it bad to say when I first heard this that I my immediate reaction was, how is this not a surprise? Is it worse that when I is it I like I I'm gonna just be perfectly blunt here. Is it worse that I when I saw that story I was quite like oh it was consensual. Oh, mm. given you know his what? track record. Yeah, I was gonna like, say given given the given the record, I don't think so. Mm. But but um let but let's like let's obviously talk about. Aspects of this because, um, as I've had a conversation with many, many people, we're almost we almost look at this and say, Well, that's the kind that's exactly the kind of thing that would happen. Mm. And it makes me think of I remember, I remember distinctly, um, this has been in my head for ages basically ever since it happened when Laurenitis was brought back in 2021. Mm. There were so many reports of the female talent saying that they were worried that it meant or that it was going to mean a return to like the divas era. Oh, and look what's happening, and and look what's happening now. I mean, look what um, uh, Athena said um, mm-hmm. in her interview with Chris Van Vliet is that John Laurinaitis was showing pictures and images of Mandy Rose to the NXT talent. Mm-hmm. And that's as as the prototypical example of what you sh- a female wrestler in WWE should be. Oh, no, it's it's absolutely it's absolutely crazy to think about. Um, God, um, I, wow. I mean, this one was. This is uh, so many things happening in the past couple of days. First, the news coming mm-hmm. out, and then Vince stepping down because we all thought that would only happen when he was dead. Yeah, I mean, according to um, reports that I've seen, I don't know, but um, you, Dan, you might have more upgraded knowledge on that. Um, I he apparently is still working in creative. Yes, mm. he he still he's still retaining his creative responsibilities. <laughs> Whatever that means, <laughs> which, is, which, is, which which tends to the thought that I've had a lot of people saying, which is that this is him stepping down or them having him step down as like a PR front. Yeah, because he's yeah. still involved in the company. He's still having a direct impact on what is being released by the company to the public media. Mm. Yeah. Did you see um, uh, a funny thing talking about that? Uh, when I went to go back and watch SmackDown and look at some of the highlights they put up on the YouTube channel, they did. They did release a video of of Vince of Vince's segment, but with the comments and likes and dislikes switched off. Yeah. Of course they would. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's like I was I was saying. So, um, I was doing a piece with the guys over at WrestleBuddy about this. Mm. 
it is the most Vince thing possible that the thing that he would do would be to say that he's going to appear on SmackDown. Yeah. Rather than actually, you know, address a press conference of news outlets. Yeah. Then, because, know, because, what, what, because what else would he want other than to directly try and dictate the narrative that's being released about him? I mean, look at the interviews he's done with Bob Costas and the one he's, yeah. he's done, like the couple he's done uh, when it, it's not him in control. He loses his rag and then tries to bat the papers out of the bloody reporter. Yeah. yeah. So Should I also say, obviously, it might be difficult for some people to read some of this information because obviously the WSJ, yeah. which is, this was originally published in the Wall Street Journal, is paywalled. Yeah. Um, but lots of people have been sharing around the full article, so you'll probably find it on like Twitter or something. Thank goodness for the Squared Circle Reddit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Man, it, this is poor. Oh, this really does change the wrestling landscape because I'll say this, right? He may have gotten away with it before, but that was 20 years ago, 20, 30 years ago. Oh, I mean, so just, just to give you just to give you a rundown, this is from the BBC article, which is reporting following the Wall Street Journal article. Which you know, so, is serious, and even the BBC are giving So, according to the Wall Street Journal, which first broke news of the Hush Money Pact on Wednesday, the January settlement bars the departing paralegal from discussing the relationship with Mr. McMahon or otherwise disparaging him. The WWE's board is now said to be in possession of a copy of the agreement, an upfront payment of $1 million with the rest to be doled out over five years and apparently paid by Mr. McMahon personally. Anonymous emails forwarded to board members reportedly claimed the woman was hired at a salary of $100,000, but Mr. McMahon doubled the figure once they began a relationship. Yep. That bit is like, ah, it's just like, that that screams no matter what I'm going to do I'm going to shut you up mm. or is that again is that a thing where it's just because that, that does scream like hush money oh it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a, it's a classic move of the of the billionaire playbook yeah oh yeah and then on top of that we have even more crazy news that's been reported. Mm. Which I I which I can't believe I'm saying this is that the reports that Sasha Banks might have been released. Mm-hmm. I mean I I would say that there would be no no surprise to me if those two things were related. I think because we know we know that we know that Sasha has always been heavily principled. Mm-hmm. We know she has come to blows and arguments with WWE management over her treatment and the treatment of other women in the locker room. Yeah, yes. It would not surprise me if that this was a thing which, despite of the, we should say the original investigation was done in April. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are still going through working on the absolute full findings of um, said report. Um, I know a lot of people have spoken back to that tweet that Nia Jax did in the kind of May time after she was released. Mm. Um, 
but I mean, you know, if we if we're going to talk about that side in regard in regards to things like the John Laurinaitis situation, again, it's not anything we haven't known, and that's I mean, again, that's arguably what makes it worse. I mean, if yeah. you watch uh, one of the very latest episodes of Cafe Rene Rene Dupree's podcast, by the way, highly recommended, really good podcast. Um, Rene regales uh, the story of the most very famous backstage story of how John Laurinaitis was backstage in a hot tub with one of the villain's wives and got caught doing it. I mean, I think to that, I think to the AJ Lee one. Oh, the AJ Lee one as well, yeah. Where he was, where he, where he said, where he said to her something to the effect of. People don't see you as sexy enough, and I need you to understand why that's a problem for us. I believe she actually uh, mentioned that in her book. Great book. No, she did. She did. Fucking hell. <laughs> and, you know, that's, you know, when you're, when you're thinking about that, and thinking, this is a man who's head of talent relations. This is the man who, may I say, when. Um, if reports are led to be believed when they were thinking up of making a junior heavyweight division, uh, like an exclusive one for Raw, I think it might have been SmackDown as well. Uh, they decided to, uh, John Laurinaitis decided, took the, the, heard the word junior and decided to hire a bunch of midget luchadors. Hey boy. Get it? Because it's, it's the juniors like... division. It doesn't even work because in make because in Mexico they call it it's micro. Yep. So you have Junior in the name. Everyone knows what anyone in wrestling should know what Junior Hebo is. He spent how how many years did Johnny A spend in bloody Japan? He spent a decade and a bit in in all Japan. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's the where, worst part. Oh, did you know they have a they had a title in all Japan called the Junior Heavyweight Title. <laughs> Uh, Is this man just purposely dense? I don't know. It's just infuriating because we're we're just retreading the same ground that we've tread before. Remember, like I, I a very interesting thing. I don't know if it was back up Hangman. Shout out to uh, Hangman, freaking awesome dude. Uh, or he could have retweeted it. I saw it like a, a message a while back or a tweet a while back saying, "I love how WWE has reverted back to pre 2012." So before CM Punk did his pipe bomb, and honestly, it kind of changed the culture of WWE. I mean, look what happened with NXT. Triple H took it and made it a super indie more than anything, with with the focus being on the wrestlers and the wrestling in the ring. You know, the talent, you know, cream rises to the top was the credo for NXT. Look at WWE now. They get rid of that. It's gone back to being a developmental. They're not looking for anyone in professional wrestling, they want just well, yeah, they're going athletes so they can build them up to be. They brought players. in, they brought in their new like, what is it? Nothing is limitless group. Yeah, which it's, has like it's it's all college athletes, and that's basically the only people they're hiring for NXT anymore. Who in their right mind on that company when when they heard Vince was bringing back both Bruce and John? Did anyone think, oh, that's the great way to bring this company forward into the future? Well, this is this is the thing I've spoken about, okay? Which is that look, we need to we if we're if we're talking about this in a flat, completely rational vacuum, 
then we need to we can be there and say Vince's methods have worked in the past. Yeah. He has become massively successful through his own brand of business dealing. Mm. But we also need to acknowledge the fact that at a point, institutions need to move with the times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It has changed. It is not the 80s anymore. It is not the 90s anymore. It is now. Yeah. And even as we and even as we look at this now, we have seen the growth and explosion of women's wrestling in the West. Mm-hmm. We've seen greater exposure to women's wrestling in Asia, Japan, etc. The access to all forms of professional wrestling is now greater than it ever has been, both domestically and internationally. Wrestling has wrestling has moved from being a wide cultural phenomenon to a niche fascination. And there's nothing wrong with that, may I add. You you will have fans who tune in from time to time. You will have fans who will watch every <clears throat> single show, but you cannot bank on wider cultural relevance to bring in the money for you. You need to actively reach out for that to achieve it. I mean, I, I guess Bad Bunny's the best example of that in the most yeah. recent years. Okay. There needs to come a time where we need to look at things, we need to look at people and structures and say that these are outdated. Mm. Vince's methods and the culture that he enforces does not work anymore. It did. And when he was and most importantly, I'm fairly certain that Nick Khan knows that. I the way the past two years, I've almost now been made certain that I think Nick Khan knows how archaic the WWE is. Hmm. I mean, he's got. I mean, he's got people literally of that company, former people who could tell him, "Listen, this is how it's been." And he's like, "No, this is the way it's going to be in order to be a sustainable billion-dollar company." Yeah. <laughs> culture shock to a lot of established people in prominence within Titan Towers. Yeah. Mm. I mean, because it's what I said to um, the guys at think about WWE, right? It's a multi-billion dollar company. Mm. Mm. Now think of a company in another area of entertainment of a similar statue, statue to them. And think about things like the fact of Let's think about the film industry, okay? Film and hmm. TV. Because I think that tracks pretty closely to wrestling in some ways. We make movies. <laughs> okay. The first thing I think of is that there's all this stuff going on. But it doesn't matter because actors have SAG-AFTRA. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the actors have SAG-AFTRA. Screenwriters, producers, directors, camera operators... Special effects, lighting, all have unions. They are all union workers. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine Nick Khan going into WWE and looking at the employment structure and just going, oh, I can just release them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
and and this is the thing I say about this entire situation, which is that clearly this is a pattern of behavior which has been enabled by a culture which has allowed these people in authority to act as they do, seemingly feeling as if they have impunity to act that way. Because the guy on top is I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's exhilarating when you talk about it, isn't it? It's depressing. It, re- it really is. Um, I guess my final thoughts on the whole thing is that I really want... I want this to be the change. Because I, I, yeah, I want this to be the point for change, change for years, but I want this to be the positive change. Here's the thing. I know one of the presidential candidates, I believe, Andrew Yang, I believe, yeah. has been campaigning for years to have an investigation opened in WWE's business practices. Yes. And I think, you know, if this does happen, if I mean, if this really is the straw that breaks the cram- camel's back of the McMahon empire, I think, that, I think uh, maybe that investigation should take place and change should happen. Also, Shout-outs to Mick Foley for the best tweet of the day when all this happened. I think now's the best time to remove Donald Trump's Hall of Fame induction. <laughs> yeah, why are you? Also not, ba- also not bad. I-, I, would, I would fully endorse that. Yep. All about that. Oh, so it's crazy. It's it is. So crazy the past couple of uh, days. And I have no doubt it's going to get crazier. There is one positive gentleman that I can take from this. It is this. We are now living in the timeline where TNA won. Because now Jeremy say, Borash yeah, and Jeff Jarrett, Jeff, Jeff Jarrett, right, is in a position of a good level of power in WWE. TNA, he was playing the long game the whole time. It's time to cross the line again. TNA fucking won. <laughs> we are living in <laughs> this is the base timeline. Here's the thing. If WWE becomes BMW, and <laughs> we know the best timeline. <laughs> it's been confirmed. Side seal delivered. Jeff Jarrett does the Fargo strike to the boardroom. It says, ain't that great? Could you, could you imagine? Like, there's, there, there's the timeline now where obviously Vince gets told to step Vince gets completely removed from the company and they, you know, Nick Khan decides, you know, I don't want Stephanie or or I'm going to say Paul here mm. involved, right? And then he just decides that, he's like, you know what, we need a new figurehead and brings in Jeff Jarrett. Like, that might actually be the most base timeline. Yes. The most funniest thing where Jeff Jarrett plays the long game and becomes the head. Plays the lo- he plays the long game and now he is the true king of the mountain. And then do- and then does the and does the Fargo strut and then I don't know, just like does the stroke to the Miz or something. Because <laughs> that's better boy. <laughs> that's oh. better. Oh and Abyss is in the company too. Oh, it's meant to be. You've got to make sure that Hogan and Bischoff have nothing to do with them. It has always been always meant to be. Always has been, always will be. Um crazy. I think I can end it in crazy, can't we? We can end it there. (laughs) Alrighty, so let us visit Reardon 
that this week's res- recommendation corner, and boy, do you have a good recommendation, really. I do, I do. Guys, how do you feel about the lovely listeners who have supported us for over 100 episodes? I love them. First things first, here at the Sweet Chin Wag podcast, I would like to recommend you guys get yourself a drink of your own taste. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for listening in and supporting us for over a for coming up over a hundred episodes. Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> Unbelievable! Thank you so so much. But my other recommendation, guys, how do you feel about multiversal kung fu with Michelle Yeoh? Uh, I absolutely love every bit of the concept. Well, you're in luck, Dan, because everywhere, everything, all at once absolutely slaps. And I need to find out, did I say it in the right? Yeah, I did. Everything, everywhere, all at once absolutely (laughs) slaps. It's so good. It's so, so good. I cannot emphasize how good the movie it is. The, the the other big multiversal fight movie, apparently, <laughs> because apparently that's a thing. Oh yeah, the multiverse now. is a genre all in of itself. Yeah, I really want to see. I really want to see the think pieces as to why that is. Because <laughs> we all know we're living in the bad timeline. <laughs> in this in this forty eight and a half hour video essay, I will talk about the multiverse and all of its different meanings in all general media, starting with. The first film in the 19th century. (laughs) I joke, but that's probably what will happen. (laughs) Just wake up, babe. New comfort video just dropped. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to see this. uh, I was thinking of seeing it in the cinema. I'm going to have to wait for the general home video release. Yeah, I got a shame. Yeah, yeah, I got it just. At the end, like the very, very, very last showing, I got in and saw it, yes. and I'm glad I did. So, yeah. But no, I, I love that. I love that. I can't wait to see it. Dan, I also believe that you have a recommendation as well. Uh, I do. Once again, recommending the amazing Abigail Fawn uh, for her video about the social contract. It is actually really, really good and a really good breakdown of a lot of really good ideas. Um, and explaining some more complicated ones in a more easy to uh, digest way um, and talking about some of the factors which affect uh, a lot of the realities of our daily life. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it's, it's yeah, that absolutely slaps. I've really enjoyed that as well, the social contract video. I highly recommend that as well. <laughs> I'm right there with you. All right. Oh, my goodness. All that said and done. Let's get on. Episode 100 of the Sweet Chinwag podcast. Oh, I would say retrospective, but it's more going to be a two and a half hour, sorry, no, a 15 and a half hour splurge session on Stone Cold Steve Austin. (laughs) Now, before we go on, as we mean to go on, I do want to preface this with uh, a little disclaimer at the beginning. We're going to be talking about Steve Austin, the professional wrestler. To go into his private life is going to be a whole, I'd say, a whole podcast in of itself because it's a very complicated, very 
very unflattering look and it doesn't paint him in the best light as it yeah. should not paint him in the best light for what he's done. Mm-hmm. But with that being said, we're talking about Steve Austin, the wrestler. Yeah. Uh, more so than anything. So I just wanted to clear that up for anyone who's listening in on this, who is a bit, who's, who, if they're wondering. Uh, we're also not talking about Steve Austin, the wrestler from Stockton, California, USA, who debuted in 1978. <laughs> we are specifically talking about Steve Austin, so-called the man, the myth, the legend. So, Feathers, first question. What? The first question. <laughs> no, no, what is not the first question? <laughs> the first question is, Steve Austin, what does he mean to you? As a wrestling fan. Good God almighty. Um, <laughs> oh, that's such a big question. <laughs> he, he really is the Hulk Hogan of our generation. The, the guy who really... The guy who gets you into wrestling. Yeah. Which is very... Considering, like, considering which we'll talk about his develop his his um development of the style of wrestling that he ended up doing. Yes, which is honestly very fascinating, in of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, culturally, Hulk Hogan will always be the will always be the biggest name in wrestling. When you think of wrestling, you think of Hulk Hogan. Mm-hmm. But. When you think of WWE specifically, I mean, I always just think back to the the, the CM Punk comment where it's like, yeah, you could say Hulk Hogan's bigger, but he's also a piece of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed, agreed. It's just he like he is to the nineties what Hulk Hogan is to the eighties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to to. For better or goddamn worse. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so like obviously when I say like what does what does Stone Cold mean to me as like a wrestling fan? Which is a very big question because obviously being a fan being a fan growing up in you know you know, by by the time I was able to actually watch wrestling and understand it myself, it was already the two thousands. Mm-hmm. But because of my two brothers, like living through that golden period mm. that like stone cold is just a a, a part of my life and yeah. was always going to be mm-hmm. yes. i think i think the thing with stone cold is that if i say he is he is the perfect summation of what the 90s wrestling fans identity dream was yes a man who says what he wants and does what he wants and is able to and is able to hit wrestling moves on his boss whenever he so wishes. He mm. that fits that fits the that is so emblematic of both the late nineties counterculture pop counterculture movement. <laughs> yeah. He was literally the personification uh, of the zeitgeist of that time. Yes, yeah. it's um. It's- yeah, he uh, with that, and then also being um, 
this character who, despite being despite being this reflection of the ideal dream of the majority of, I'm going to say, mostly white, lower to middle class Americans, <laughs> he is also... He is also so distinctly relatable in a strange way. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew that a guy from from Austin, Texas would be so relatable to billions of people across the world? Yeah, he really is, like, strangely enough, one of the great escapist characters of the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you, you really put it against every character in pop culture of the 90s because because if we if we think about it right if we take the stone cold character and extract it from wrestling right that is just the 90s anti-hero mm-hmm. yeah he... that is that is and Riddon will know exactly what i mean on this the 90s the 90s sci-fi hero in air quotes Ah oh, yes, he is. He, he is. He right is a hero with... that you're not supposed to like, but you do. He, he is right up there with like Spawn. You <laughs> yes. are. You are. You are. You are told to not like him because he threatens the status quo. The status quo of capitalist America. <laughs> but you like him because he threatens the status quo of capitalist America. <laughs> yeah, that does kind of. When you think about it, it does really kind of show his longevity, don't it? Basically. <laughs> like, like, like his other rival, The Rock, never really had that. No. Because he was he was very specifically, like, his... Well, but, well, I was about to say that, but then, like, he technically started Nation of Domination. But mm-hmm. when you think of how he ended up, The, the Rock was... Even if he was calling himself like the people's champion, in the beginning he was the corporate champion, very specifically. Yeah. And then what did what did he end off? What did he end up as? Hollywood Rock. Yeah. It's that sold him that 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 made himself believe that he was better than everyone else and became emblematic of the uh, emblematic of the U.S. film industry. Yeah. It's a kind of a funny thing. It's like when we to think about how he ended up. Stone Cold, I think one of the really interesting things about Stone Cold is he's a classic hates everyone equally. Or not even just hates, more stuns everyone equally. <laughs> I don't think he even does it because he hates people. He does it because... I like to think, I like to think about it in the terms of... it. It's probably it, it's something that... Everyone gets shit equally. <laughs> yeah. It, it is li- literally me against everyone and that's it yeah <laughs> i have no allegiances but to myself <laughs> yeah oh no i love it i mean here's the thing what uh, steve beats to me it's everything you two said but also with the knowledge that steve austin was the very first wrestler i watched when i was first introduced to wrestling it was Steve Austin versus Kane on a Raw is War in 1998. The very first wrestling match I watched. And it stuck with me this day. Here's a bald man taking on a seven-foot monster with a mask on. What the hell is this? I want more of it, please. I can almost guarantee that even before I could properly comprehend what I was actually saying as a child, that I probably at some point my brothers were getting me to fucking make Stone Cold quotes. 
I mean, yeah. who here at school? I, I know, I know, I know for I know for fact my bro- my older brother had a poster of Stone Cold on his wall. Yeah. Yep, I also had a poster of Stone Cold on my wall. I had a couple of figures. I mean, who didn't at primary school, my age anyway? Do stunners to their friends and then flip. Oh, the bird yeah, but that, that was that was that oh, was yeah. that was guaranteed though. Like the, the 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 culture of doing wrestling moves in school and then getting in trouble for doing it and then having the teacher say that they're banned <laughs> is like eternal. Yes, <laughs> it's a rite of passage as a wrestling fan. It is. Well. It is a rite of passage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we just start flipping the bird. That's when they get really angry. But I. Don't... Bro, oh, me, me cutting, me cutting about in like high school, and people were trying to RKO each other. Like <laughs> when you start saying to the teacher, "Talk about your songs." <laughs> oh, imagine if you went to a Catholic school and you cut the Austin three sixteen bro. <laughs> I mean, you get ass in front of homework. Fuck you. <laughs> it's, it's. I mean. We've all been tempted speaking as Oh, you. we have. We all have. We all have. And that's yeah. why we say he is the escapist power fantasy. Just the perfect gateway drug to modern wrestling. Yes. Just, like, I think that's one reason, that's one very, very big reason of his appeal. Do you reckon Everything... we do you reckon we can get a check on the on the Stone Cold Steve Austin fan to like radical leftist pipeline? <laughs> you know. That's a very good question. <laughs> that is a very good question. <laughs> yeah. so, oh my god. It was like it's kind of weird, bizarre even, that even for all of its very nightiness, how culturally resonant this <laughs> man Austin feud is. It's kind we'll, of bizarre, which we'll probably get a good, We'll get we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Man, that's weird. Damn, <laughs> let's go through it. Let's, do let's it go through it then. I'm going to do a very kind of, more of a quick retrospective, because honestly, I think for us three, we know Austin's career. We've kind of heard him. If anyone's listened to his podcast or watched the Broken Skull sessions, it's more or less well-documented Steve's life. So we kind of know the bits and pieces, the, in, the ins and outs of how we got started, where he went and how we ended up. So I'm going to do a very truncated version. Um, and we're just going to go through it, and we're just going to be doing uh, versions of, uh, of, St- of of impressions of Steve Austin. Uh, by the fir- by, the first one I must need to need to get out right now is fuck the WWE. Oh hell yeah! There we go. Let him know. Let him know. There it is. There it is. Oh yeah. So, Stephen James Anderson, <laughs> born Anderson. on December the eighteenth, nineteen sixty four, which is the same day. Is mine, not the same year, fortunately. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> Grew up in Edna, Texas. He was actually originally born in Austin, but moved shortly. Uh, I think it was about a year old when he moved to Edna, Texas, where he would spend most of his childhood. Uh, his Imagine mother... your town just being a person's name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, try telling most of Texas that, because there are a lot of Victoria, Austin, just... Keep going. <laughs> I wonder if you could have a kid called Dallas. Anyway, uh, Fort Wayne. There you go. See, you know what I mean. <laughs> so, uh, his mother would uh, uh, would uh, divorce from his birth father and marry another person named Ken Williams. Which, of course, he would legally change his name to uh, Steve Williams. So he would later change it again to Steve Austin later, as we all know he is. I believe. 
the middle child of a family of five, I believe, one sister and three brothers. Uh, so, with all of that, he would finish, uh, he would graduate from his high school with a football scholarship, funnily enough, and was actually a pretty damn good linebacker. Honestly, a lot of people, when he actually went to the University of North Texas, thought that he was a shoo-in for the NFL for how good he was as a linebacker. But he ended up suffering a knee injury during, I believe it might have been his sophomore year, and that had prompted him to play actually as a defensive end. But during all this time, he was a diehard wrestling fan. He, he The bug hit him and hit him when he was, as he says, at seven or eight years old. All he ever wanted, even during that time when he was a football player, was to be a pro wrestler. Because remember, this is Texas. Wrestling is probably the biggest thing in that state. Uh, remember, we had, I mean, world class championship wrestling and the Warren Eric family were basically the biggest championship family. Yep. Yeah, that's true. We need to do an episode on the Von Eric family in the future. Yeah, we can look at that. We could definitely, I mean, they, they deserve one, but. They absolutely oh, deserve no. one. Uh, <laughs> and I think we should, if we're going to talk about like doing that, I think we need to do another part where we talk about the, the Von Erics versus the Fabulous Freebirds as well. Oh, God. Um, so, he said he, pr- he lived approximately 30 miles away from the Dallas Auditorium, which was the venue for uh, world-class championship wrestling. They always ran shows there on a Friday night. He called it the building, basically, he fondly described it, by his words, as a magnificent shithole of a building. I know a couple of those in London. (laughs) And it was from this that he wanted to be a pro wrestler. So in 1989, deciding to become a wrestler, he joined... Uh, I believe it was World Class Championship Wrestling uh, Training Camp uh, with head trainer Gentleman Chris Adams. And this would actually take place as well in the Dallas Sportatorium. Now, Chris Adams, bloody great British professional wrestler, didn't realise until later that he was actually a judoka as well. Well, all I'm saying is that technically England can make a claim for creating Steve Austin, so... yes. Yes, yes. He's he ours now. We'll get no we'll get to that point actually. Sorry. Have... <laughs> Sorry, Texas, you've lost another one. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, uh according to Austin in his podcast, that first seminar cost forty five dollars and it was purely a technical showcase training session where he just went over the, the technicalities and the mechanics of moves, roll up. You know, grapples, um, that's so British. Other um, moves, nothing relating to kayfabe, because at this time, '89, it's still a very closely kept, guarded secret. Anything about kayfabe or the business. So basically, during that time, it is very well known that um, <laughs> that that when you were training, they would tell you that it was all real, regardless of what, you know, anyone else said. Mm-hmm. Now, Austin has gone on record as to say that Chris Adams, he described him as a odd man who didn't try to smarten him up to business when it came to wrestling. As a matter of fact, he credits finally learning the insides, you know, the insides of the workings of professional wrestling to Tony Falk. No, not the actor who played Columbo, but a wrestler, a, a referee, <laughs> 
in, in world class championship wrestling. For clearing that up because I because legitimately I was thinking, wait a minute, what's he what was Tony Falk doing at this time? And it was wait, it was Peter Falk, wasn't it? It was Peter Falk. Peter Falk, yeah. There we go. Just one more thing, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> so Austin would make his debut in September 1989 at a US WA event at the Auditorium, coming up against Frogman LeBonk. Incredible. Yeah, how He wasn't was he? Frogman LeBlanc? No. (laughs) (laughs) This man was going about with the name Frogman. (laughs) I will I'm not gonna lie. Frogman LeBlanc LeBlanc is is a name that's so stupid it goes right round to being kind of fucking cool. (laughs) (laughs) So during this time, Steve went under his real name, Steve Williams, and wrestled, I think, about three or four matches as Steve Williams before, I believe, it might have been Dutch Mantel who pulled him inside and said, I think you may need to go for a different name because I, I, you know, there's going to be the <laughs> there's, most... There's a guy. <laughs> there is a guy that probably will get mistaken for you. You know, the man, the myth. Fuck Dr. Death. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that I'll just take the piece where I was born. There you go. There you go. And funny enough, it was after he changed his name to Steve Austin uh, that uh, he started tagging with Dirty Nice. Uh, and it was soon enough after that that Austin would, you know, he was a regular at the USWA events. He would go up against the uh, guy for his trainer, Gaylord, a very well-known uh, wrestler in the, in the American independence. Matt Bourne, the original Boink. Oh, hell yeah. The natural Dustin Rhodes in a multi-band yeah. tag match as well. And and the, and the one of the Von Eric uh, uh, brothers as well. I believe it might have been Chris Von Eric. Yes, Chris Von Eric. And so through this, he's plying away his trade in the USWA. And eventually... Eventually, he manages to get into WCCW, and uh, it was actually during this time that, w- that World Class and I think it was Continental Wrestling Association formed to become the U. Uh, to become a fully fledged company, which then, of course, becoming the USWA. Now, believe it or not, this is where Austin, of course, first met Percy Pringle, who we know as Bulbera, who ended up being quite quite a help of him getting into, you know, future places where he would be employed. But I am getting ahead of myself. After this career in USWA, he left in 1990 to join World Championship Wrestling. Arriving in WCW, he was now nicknamed as Stunning Steve Austin. Apparently, a gimmick that he did not want in any way, shape, or form, because he <laughs> as though he's even though he's gone on record as to saying Ric Flair was a massive influence on him, he did not want to come out wearing the kind of like the Ric Flair robe and being called Stunning Steve Austin. There's a difference between. I mean, in in term, in terms of him just being a kid from Texas, I can imagine that probably didn't sit. Like, there's a difference between. It been inspired by Ric Flair and wanted to be Ric Flair. Yes. 
And so he would eventually be, when he debuted, he was originally paired with a valet named Vivacious Veronica. But awesome. then But then was joined by later, uh, who we now, uh, Lady Blossom, who is the more famous valet uh, for Austin. But just weeks after his debut, he hit the ground running. He defeated Bobby Eaton for his first World Ch- uh, Television Championship in 91. And then that would end up him joining Paul E. Dangerously's Dangerous Alliance. Ain't it crazy how we Heyman. Paul Heyman and Steve Austin. Yeah, it's really you know, you know as much as I as much as I acknowledge it, and we're gonna get to it. The fact that that Steve Austin was in ECW, it's always strangely cursed to me. Yeah, I don't. Know it feels why. wrong, doesn't it? Yeah, and it's not like, and it's not like, like it's. I think it's because it's like it's not. Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mm. If it was Stone Cold Steve Austin, absolutely, like without question. Yeah, I think but the just... thing is, is from from having watched his brief period of time, it's like proto Stone Cold. Yes. Yeah, we'll get. To it's that. like the it's, it's like the first draft. Mm. <laughs> we'll get to that. We definitely yeah. will. So during his time in the Dangerous Alliance, he would end up having a rivalry with Barry Windham, which would culminate with him losing the TV title in a very good battle. Relate, would later regain it from Wyndham and enjoyed a huge, quite lengthy reign as that champion before losing it in one of my favorite rivalries. When I look back at his time in WCW with Ricky Steamboat, if you've not, I mean, in, in terms of two, in terms of two people to have a championship series with, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, so, so many good matches he had with Ricky Steamboat in his time, uh, in his early years in WCW. So he would end up. At Halloween Havoc 92, replacing Terry Gordy, he teamed with Dr. Death. Steve, Steve Hell yeah! Steve Williams teamed up to face Dustin Rhodes and Barry Windham for the unified WCW NWA World Tag Team Championship. But it ended in a 30 minute time limit draw. It's a very good match. I still love the fact that Steve Williams teamed up with Steve Williams. <laughs> Go frankly, if it. I'm if I'm a booker, I'm I'm just making that happen anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Frankly, I I'm making Stone Cold appear out for one night and going, "No, you're Steve Williams now." Well, son, but tonight I, you are. Well, son, I'll tell you what you what Terry's son said about twenty years in the future from now. Fuck Doctor Day. <laughs> what? <clears throat> oh dear. I love during this time. If anyone's gone back and seen Steve at this time. It's so weird to see Steve Austin with long blonde hair. Again, cursed. So cursed. Let me. He is the anti Samson. But it is ridiculous how he has long blonde hair. And I'm gonna be honest. It doesn't look good on him. It doesn't. It just doesn't. I'm sorry. No. During this time, he was in high school. His hair was nice, long, full, and flowing. As he was wrestling, this is when it was starting to fit out, and he was trying desperately to hold on to what he left. Uh, it's like, Steve, sweetie, you are the only white man in existence that can fully pull off boldness. Come on, man. <laughs> oh, this is where we get, of course, to his most famous tag team, the Hollywood Blondes. Now, in October 92, he fought him and Flying Brian Pillman, but at the behest of Lee Booker by Dusty Rhodes, 
slammed together to form a makeshift tag team, but they would re be rechristened as the Hollywood Blondes. Austin has said on record that he wasn't really excited about being placed in their tag team because he was he was actually earmarked at the time for a run for the United States Championship with Harley Race as his manager, funnily enough. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. So, who came up with the Hollywood Blondes gimmick? It was Brian Pillman, actually, who came up with the finishing moves, ring gear, the team name. Uh, it was actually while he was travelling with uh, with Scott Levy, who we all, of course, know as Raven. He actually hey. the Hollywood Blondes name. Hollywood Very, Blondes that is a Raven moment. That is, absolutely is. Uh, originally, Hollywood Blondes was used in the 1970s by a tag team, but they decided to rechristen themselves, take that and rechristen it to Pillman and Austin. Now, this is where we get, of course, the silver ring jacket, the stars on the back. We get the, of course, yeah. the stun gun finisher. We get the, the taunt of the Hollywood Blondes. The, you know, remember the, the the movie camera gesture. Yeah. If you remember. And of course, it would inform their opponents that the experience was crushed with greatness. Now, a tag team that was never meant to do much because Dusty was trying to get them to do something, you know, to fill, you know, spots in the tag division. They ended up becoming incredibly popular very quickly. And they were the team to actually unify the NWA and BCW tag championships by defeating Ricky. It was meant Pinto to be. And Shane Douglas and held those championships for five whole months. A very successful, very popular tag reign. Uh, you know, yeah. Echo, yeah, I've actually watched a few clips on the Hollywood Blondes, and it's like, they're very good. Like, mm. it's actually mm. kind of shocked. Like, not that, like, Brian and. Brian and Steve Austin were ever bad at wrestlers, but like seeing them actually work, you're like, wow, these guys actually are really good at their craft. Yeah. Uh, as Austin goes on a record, he said, didn't know much of Brian before I met him, before we came together, but after that, he was a friend for life because we just worked. It's almost like chemistry. Like we didn't have to say much, we just knew what to do as soon as we got in that ring. Um, as famous, Austin's very famous gold chain was actually a gift from Brian Pillman during this time. Mm -hmm. So if it weren't for Brian Pillman, we would never have the signature look of Steve Austin. <laughs> so, uh, during this time, they would actually have a, quite a huge rivalry with the Four Horsemen, which would culminate at Clash of Champions, where the Blondes would defend their championship against Ric Flair and Arn Anderson in a two-out-of-three falls match. Despite... Losing the two falls, they retained the championship as the second fall had been, been determined as a disqualification caused by Barry Windham. Now, oh, WCW. <laughs> so, this is where it gets, this is where it's, it ends and then kind of fizzles out the Hollywood Blondes. Unfortunately, they were, as they were scheduled to defend their championship against uh, Arn Anderson and newly debuting Horseman member Paul Roma. Of course. But a legit injured Brian Pillman had to be replaced last minute. And who is he replaced by? Steve Regal. <laughs> there's a lot of English in here. There's, that's, yeah, there's a shocking amount of English in Texas right now. Just a, just a wee bit. Just a wee bit. They would end up actually losing and Roma. And that's kind of where it ends for the, uh, for the Hollywood while uh, Pillman was still injured, uh, Austin would end up winning Colonel Robert Clark's stud stable, 
And after Brian Pillman returned from injury, just immediately broken up as Austin just did, uh, just heel turned on him. As, as of course. Austin says it was an absolute mystery as to why it happened, although I believe Austin and Pillman have gone on record in the past as to say, um, basically, I think we got too popular and Dusty didn't like it. So we split, so they split us up because we got over wrestling. We supposed to be. It's funny how so many things in wrestling come back to the same point. It's crazy, isn't it? So you know that you know that um, earmarked U.S. title run that he was originally supposed to have before he became part of the Hollywood Blondes. Uh-huh. He would eventually get it after defeating uh, Dustin Rhodes in a two out of three falls match at Starcade that year. <laughs> but then again, he would he would come into the crosshairs of his old rival Ricky Steamboat and had a tremendous a tremendous uh, rivalry, which would end up which would uh, have a match at Fall Brawl. Where Steamboat was actually unable to wrestle due to a legit back injury, and Austin was awarded the championship by forfeit. But oh, this is the bit that gets me right. Ninety-five, right? This is ninety-five. So we've got Hogan's been in for a few years, okay? Yeah. His influence has been felt everywhere. So Austin has the title of Four Brawl and loses it in five minutes to who? Jim Duggan in a match that lasted. <laughs> 35 seconds. Wow. Oh, WCW. <laughs> Jesus. So he would challenge again for the championship of both Halloween Havoc and Clash of the Champions 29, but was both times unsuccessful. Now, the influence of Hulk Hogan and the Hulkamania, of Hulkamania taking grip on WCW cannot be understated. No, it cannot. This is why Rick, Eric Bischoff has gone on record as to saying that this was the likely reason that Austin lost to Jim Duggan, who had been a popular figure during that time. But Austin is WCW. Uh, and Austin was always hitting a brick wall creatively of what he can and where he would, what he would like to do. Because Hogan and his buddies coming in. Now, yes. Austin originally pitched an idea to Eric Bischoff where it would be revealed that Austin family member of Hulk Hogan. Jesus Christ. Oh, anything to try and get further up, you know, be, you know, a, a major player. But it was quickly shot down on account of Bischoff's belief that Hogan wouldn't work with somebody who wasn't a proven name such as Austin. Show up. This is what Hogan does to companies. <laughs> so, so, son, uh, Eric, I've got a gimmick where I can be uh, Hulk Hogan's brother, dude. I, c- I can do the I could do the Hogan. What? I could do the Hogan. What? <laughs> you oh, can just see Hogan it's... in the background. Gotta work. That's not gonna work with me, dude. Just. It's not gonna work with me, Jack. Oh my god. Uh, I am so glad that this got shot down. I'm oh, so I don't care. Like this is so stupid an idea. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I. This is a desperation move right here. I can tell. Yeah, indeed. I think that's fine. Austin was also predominantly working a lot of dates in New Japan because he just had enough of working yeah. with WCG and wanted to do more tours in New Japan. Uh, and so he got the chance to wrestle in New Japan on a number of occasions and have great matches. Uh, one of the, unfortunately, one of the most infamous ones was, of course, against Masahiro Chono, where he would end up doing a sit-out uh, Tombstone Piledriver, which was a great 
Chono's neck and temporarily paralyzes him. And this ultimately changed Chono's career for the rest of his for the rest of his um uh, for the rest of his time yeah. in wrestling, as he had to drastically change his wrestling style in order to compensate for the neck injury. This will be this is the wrestling gods were like, well, well, I know what we're doing next. <laughs> also, also, I have to emphasize enough that the idea of Stone Cold or Steve Austin wrestling in anywhere other than America in an American company is cursed. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's so I don't blame you. I don't blame you at all. Steve Austin cannot wrestle in is not going to Japan. It's just not happening. Konichiwa. <laughs> Konichiwa, son. Did you imagine like the, the new Japan like post match promos like this and all that to the sake. What? What? It's a gun. What? This is just making me remember the 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 ZSJ one where <laughs> my beer is warm, son. I need it cold. Ice cold, snow cold. What? Oh no! Yeah, no, that's cursed as hell. <laughs> oh, so. After returning from a uh, from a little time off from a knee injury in early '95, Austin would take part uh, in a tournament for the vacant U.S. Championship, defeating Duggan in the first round, but losing to Randy Savage in the quarterfinal. And in June 1995, Steve Austin was unceremoniously fired by Eric Bischoff via FedEx, I believe, whilst suffering a tricep injury, wrestling on another Japanese tour. So the reason why like that. the reason why Bischoff fired him apparently Bischoff and WCW did not see Steve as a marketable wrestler didn't think much of him thought he could be a great hand in in the lower mid card and nothing else also Bischoff thought Austin was hard to work with it's one of those it's it's one of, like I have to be very careful when it comes to WCW I really <laughs> mm-hmm. do. Because so often you read it and it's like, how much of this is like it was a bad idea or in the time, and how much of it is just hindsight being the most biggest of bitches? <laughs> how much of it is oh. to be a fly on the wall at this moment for this decision? Mm. It's <sighs> so stupid. But that's the thing. I don't know how stupid. I mm. really don't. I really don't know how how much can you blame Bishop at this time. I, I don't mean, how know. Much, I mean, how much of the blame really goes towards Bishop and how much really goes towards Hogan in this time as well? Oh yeah, there's a lot that goes towards Hogan. <laughs> like, my God, crazy. This, of course, though, brings us to a very short but very memorable time. In extreme championship wrestling. Can I can I can I just say quickly before we do this? Um, the listeners can't see this because I'm doing this in I'm doing this in our chat that we use while we're recording. But I've just found <laughs> Cursed Viewing, which is a Steve Austin versus Keiji Muto match from the 1992 G1 Climax. Oh, <laughs> it's one oh. hell of a match. I've seen it. The, con- I was... the, the concept of Keiji Muto versus Steve Austin is something that I never want to see in my head. So now I'm going to curse myself by at some point watching it. Yep, yep, yep. 
that's going to happen. <laughs> so, this brings us 1995 to ECW. Now, he was, was actually contacted by Paul Heyman out of blue. Um, of course, they went back a long time of him being part of the Dangerous Alliance. But Heyman said, look, heard what happened. Come to ECW and I will give you free reign to do absolutely anything you want to do. Now, I know you're injured at the moment, so I'm going to bring you in to just cut promos and do interviews and just just spout shit and venom to WCW. Now, apparently Austin goes on record as to saying Heyman for this, but only doing promos and in-ring interviews, paid $500 a night. And he was the one that decided to change his name, uh, his nickname from Sonic Steve Austin to Superstar Steve Austin. And Austin would debut at ECW Gangster's Paradise on September the 18th, 1995. Now, of course, as we all know, the very famous story has kind of been in the, in the history or the mythology of Steve Austin. Is this is where he kind of developed his Stone Cold persona, as well as, you know, the very infamous series of vignettes taking, like, going on WCW where he would dress yeah. up as Eric Bischoff he would dress up as Hulk Hogan he would just absolutely tear into them in fairness to him if I was in a comp- if I was in a company and then I had to picture an angle where I was Hulk Hogan's brother just to try and even come close to getting booked I would feel the same way mm. absolutely I mean it's a very famous, very famous uh, uh, vignette he did at this time is where he said uh, WCW's um, tagline at the time is uh, where the big boys play. Uh, and Austin decided to go, welcome to WCW where the big boys play with each other. What? <laughs> That's just awesome. <laughs> and of course, going Monday night, going Monday night. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, this is short at the time, but he would actually then develop his own rivalry with then ECW world champion Mikey Whipwreck. It ended up having quite a lot. It ended up having several good matches with Whipwreck for the title. Yeah, Mikey Whipwreck was great. Yeah. The whipsnapper finisher Stone Cold would use in his time in the fu- in his future. <laughs> but we'll get to that. <laughs> So, it was actually on record as the saying as well that he credits Paul Heyman as the man who taught him actually how to cut promos as well during this time. Mm-hmm. I believe that. <laughs> and so, during his last match, at December to December, Steve Austin would end up facing Mikey Whipwreck and the Sandman in a losing effort for the ECW World Championship. Ain't it crazy that he would end up defeating the man who he took a couple of things? Well, two men who he took a couple of things off. The beer drinking from the sandman and yep. the liquor snapper from Mikey. It's just he he lost the championship, but he took the he took their essences. He he was there and went, I was like, don't worry, <laughs> I've lost now. I'll see you in a later game. <laughs> <laughs> so, after much discussion and convincing. From two people in the company, Jim Ross and Kevin Nash, they finally convinced WWF's owner, Vince McMahon, to talk to Steve and eventually hire him. 
funny, isn't it? I love how it's Kevin Nash and yeah. Jim Ross that took it to convince Vince. Because Jim Ross, I can believe, because he was head of talent relations at some point. I don't know if that was still 1995. Why Kevin Nash, though? Yeah. That I... one always surprises the heck out of me. <laughs> Kevin and Steve are quite good friends in real life. Yeah. I imagine it's probably their slight connection to PCW, although I can't yes. know if they if both Kevin and Steve were in the company at the same time. They might have been. Like, it could have been ships passing. Yeah, I want to say ships passing. because Well, well, no, because let me think. Right, this is 1995. Yeah. So Kevin Nash is still with WWF at this point. Yes, he is. Uh, I'm trying to think of his time when he was uh, Oz or Vinny Vegas before he came in. Um, maybe 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 i'm not sure i'm not sure so vince after hiring steve great professional wrestler had really refined his promo work in ecw i should say he's a notable hand in the tag division what does he do he gives tbrc as a mouthpiece and awards him the million dollar championship and calls him the ringmaster Okay, let me talk about this. Yes. <laughs> a ring mess. What? Because this is a thing that's annoyed me for so for so long, and people look at me like I'm weird when I talk about it. I get that he's a good technical wrestler. What fucking connection does that have between Ted DiBiase and the Million Dollar Championship and the Ringmaster? <laughs> well, son, you're great in the ring. You know, I'd say you're even a master of the ring. But what does the million dollar title have to do with anything? I don't know. It's so right. I'll paint the picture for you. Monday Night Raw, broadcasting January 8th, but funnily enough, that Raw was on September the 18th, 1995, on Steve Austin's birthday. He was awarded, he immediately was awarded the million dollar championship, and I still remember his, his, his gimmick where he would place his, like, show his hand, his palm to the camera. And goes, get a, t- a touch of success, son. And you know who he faced in his baby sack? Uh, I f- I'm fairly sure I do know this. I have to make sure I get this right. Was it Savio Vega? <laughs> no, it wasn't. That was his first rivalry. His debut Raw match as the Million Dollar Champion, first of the time on WWF television, he fought and defeated Matt Hardy. That's crazy. Wow, that's weird as hell. It's nuts, isn't it? It's even crazy when you think that Matt Hardy is still wrestling now. <laughs> yeah. Nuts. So, his first pay-per-view event in WWF would be the Royal Rumble in 1996. And it was scheduled that he was going to be one of the final four. Vince had grand plans for the ringmaster. Wanted one of the big boards for their time in 1996. Unfortunately, though, as Steve has gone on very famous record of saying at this Royal Rumble, that didn't go exactly to plan. As a matter of fact, <laughs> three or four minutes into his entering of the Royal Rumble match, he had a spot that he planned out with the future Rikishi, known as Fatu at this time where he was going to 
sort of skin the cat where Fatu would clothesline him over the top rope and uh, and Steve would kind of skin the cat and hold on to the ropes. Unfortunately, it has been a, a half an hour since the Royal Rumble match was won, and the ropes yep. have become very stiff from baby oil and sweat. And so, as they're about to do the clothesline, Steve is, is prone on the ropes, he's ready, he's braced himself, holding on to the ropes, Fatu goes for the clothesline, and as Steve says, he goes over, still holding on to the ropes, but as soon as he hits the apron, whoop, he, he slips right off and is out of the rumble. So the planned part with him being in the Final Four had to change rapidly. He tried to get back in the ring, Although his words were, oh shit, I just fell out the fucking ring. <laughs> oh. Well, there goes my push, shot. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It do be like that, son. <laughs> oh, oh, fuck, fuck, I'm back in the ring. Oh, oh shit, no one saw me. No, I wasn't ready. <laughs> so, it was only about three or four months in there and everywhere, having a couple of uh, matches here with Savio Vega and many others. It was also during this time that he would adopt the whip snapper. It was, oh, but he would still use the stun gun actually as his as his proper finisher, as well as the million dollar dream. Yeah, no, that that that's just no. That's just a no. Yeah. So after much begging from Vince, he wanted a new gimmick change. He thought the ringmaster was not working. He wanted a change. Now, after battling his thinning hair for so long, he decided to just go shave his head bald. He would say in an interview in 2017, after watching Pulp Fiction with Bruce Willis, that was the haircut that inspired me. I was travelling with Dustin Rhodes, and before I went to the show, I just said fuck it, went to the bathroom of a razor blade and just shaved my hair off. And so that's when he grew out his goatee and everything came full circle. Now, by March 11th, the ringmaster was now basically He was going by the name Steve Austin, but he still wanted a change. Um, Stone Cold would actually come prompted by his then wife at the time, Jeannie, who told him to drink his cup of tea now before it becomes Stone Cold. The British, the British gives it again. <laughs> exactly. Of course, Austin has gone on to saying that his gimmick was partially inspired by noted serial killer Richard Pizzuti. Wow. And how he had you gotta get your you gotta get your you gotta get your inspiration from somewhere. Exactly. Now, very famous story goes when he entered the Vince with the idea of having a kind of like cold-blooded. Ice haggard, scared wrestler who took no shit from anybody. Uh, who was his own person. Of course, he came. Uh, Vince came up, and the creator came up with some very clever names. Otto, Mc, uh, Otto von Ruthless, Chili McFreeze. <laughs> I love that one so much. Chili Mc, Chili McFreeze is straight up like you know when you're watching a kid's cartoon and they need like a character that's a rapper. Yes, that's Chili McFreeze to me. Chili Mc. <laughs> but what this tell what this tells me though is that then it, it clearly Americans don't have the phrase stone cold. 
Mm. Yeah, which is kind of funny, isn't it? Yes. Like, I think we'll all agree we've definitely heard and said it at some point in our lives. Yeah. The one that sounds like a comic book name to me, though, was what was also. Oh yeah. Fang McFroth. <laughs> no, Fang McFroth is a really, really shitty fighting game character. <laughs> oh yeah. In like a really shittily made fighter that was me- that specifically was meant to be a licensed title. Then the license got revoked, so they just made the game anyway, and it was shit. <laughs> that is. That is definitely someone copying Mortal Kombat. At yeah, time. Mortal Kombat Two. Remember, gonna... this is this is during the time when you had Glacier. He was thinking of Sub Zero without it being called Sub Zero. That is true. <laughs> that is true. So it almost came down to he was going to be called Ice Dagger Steve Austin. It almost came to him being called Ice Dagger Steve Austin, but. Cooler heads prevailed, uh, get it? And uh, he ended up becoming Stone Cold Steve Austin. Now, I don't know if you have seen it, but during the time when he eventually became Stone Cold Steve Austin, he was still where he was still being managed by Ted DiBiase, and he was still yeah. wearing white boots with white wrist tape yeah. and black trunks, which is so cursed for Stone Cold <laughs> Steve Austin. <laughs> The worst part, though, for me, is if you ever see during the time the backstage promos that Steve would cut, he yeah. managed to have, a, you know, do his promos by himself. He ended up testing a couple of catchphrases. And oh, one of no. them, my personal favourite, was at the end of his promo, he would go, that's not just a fact, that's Stone Cold. Oh yeah, I remember that. That's so cold. <laughs> that's not just fact. That's stone cold. <clears throat> oh. See, the, the the problem is there is, and that's like one of those ones where people say a phrase but incorrectly. Because mm-hmm. I've heard like stone dead truth. But heard, just stone cold. That just means something cold. I've heard a stone cold fact. I have heard that yeah yeah but he just doesn't he doesn't he doesn't finish the sentence exactly (laughs) finish the sentence my guy oh it's so stupid but from steve incoming stone cold steve austin he would end up having his very famous rivalry with savio vega and this is where he would adopt the whipsnapper and called the stone cold stunner it was through this rivalry with Savio that he would make his first appearance at WrestleMania at WrestleMania 12. Uh, he would uh, defeat him in that match, and in a strap match in your house, beware, beware of dog. Austin would lose that match. With the stipulation that if he did, he would lose managerial services to DBS. A week later on Monday Night Raw, he would go on record to say that he believed that he had to wrestle for that head. It's based. <laughs> And I just like as a gimmick, like in like kayfabe, Austin deliberately lost that match because he did not want Ted DiBiase as a manager. Incredible. <laughs> and of course, we get to the King of the Ring, nineteen ninety-six, with headlined by Superman, a returning born-again Christian, Jake the Snake Roberts, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'm the King of the Ring. Now, during the 
the 96 King of the Ring uh, during the semi-finals match. Steve actually during that match, uh, during that semi-finals match, had to go to the hospital because he busted his lip up and it required stitches. <laughs> so they had oh. to quickly do a quick bodge job um, of that. I believe it was semi-final match. Yeah, against Mark Merriman. If you wanted to know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he'd end up busting his hip and go off to the hospital to get that done. Uh, Jake Roberts would uh, end up defeating Vader in his semi-final match. He gets the final of Stone Cold versus Jake the Snake, which of course famously won by Steve Austin. And we get the very, very now iconic, <laughs> iconic promo, which, believe it or not, was actually ad-libbed by by Austin himself. But this is the thing I say, though. This is why ad-lib promos are good. <laughs> Just up let up people talk. Exactly. Up on the throne, uh, sidelined by Doc Hendricks, who we know as Michael Hayes, talking about his victory, of course. Do you want me to do it? Because I feel like I've got it up, and I feel like I should do it. Go on, then. Go on. You sit there, and you fuck your Bible, and you say your prayers, and it didn't get you anywhere. Talk about your subs. Talk about John 316. Austin 316 says, I just whipped your ass. This <laughs> is poetry. And, and low. So this is So, in a turnabout way, it's kind of glad the curtain call happened, because if it didn't, this would never have happened, and we'd be in a very yeah. different position than we are now. Such a different world. Now, history in WWE would tell you that straight after that, Stone Cold's popularity would go skyrocketing. But in actuality, it really didn't. It took about a few months before he started to really get popular with it. Was that out of the, the raw after King of the Ring, not much was said about him. You hear stories of fans bringing in Austin 316 in the crowd scene. Not a single one to be seen. Trust me, I know. I went back looking to see if it was true. Yeah, the that's... After King of the Ring, uh, raw after King of the Ring, not a single Austin 316 That is fascinating because in terms of like WWE history, like the the official WWE history, they call this this bit the official beginning of the of the Attitude Era. That's crazy how that is, like you know, you know WWE propaganda rewriting history. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so of course it would I mean, it would soon enough. We would get this soon enough, and I think a lot of that actually has to do with his rivalry with Montaigne Johnson. Yeah, which would culminate, of course, in the infamous Hillman's Got a Gun promo. <laughs> you see, Austin three sixteen versus Pillman nine millimeter, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Stuff like, yeah. See, see, Vince McMahon had to apologize after that one. Yep. Yeah. I love this promo so goddamn much. I love it so much. I love it. Austin breaks the ring call with Tim and hosts Pillman. Kill the motherfucker. Pillman's like, I've got mad bitch. It's out of its mind. I love it. 
I love it so much. And I'm I'm kind of like, and I'm also like, but Vince, Vince, this is what you apologized for? This? Exactly. Exactly. I, I know, I know, like, I understand of the context, like, Vince McMahon at this point isn't Mr. McMahon. Like, yeah. very specifically, he isn't at this point. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but for this to be to, for this to be what he apologizes for, and to know what's coming afterwards, mm-hmm. wow, wow, <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> and this is, of course, we get to his very, very famous rivalry with Bret Hart. It really was basically just a promoter of what he did in 1996. Yeah, yeah. of course, this I think Hart away from the WWF in that time and Steve kind of goaded him into into doing certain things, you know, so you put an ass in front of him, man. <laughs> you have like you need a bro. It's such a great little line. Man. I just love so, it. He really did he really it. did just perfect his craft. Like I said, half of Stone Cold was that he was just fucking talking. Yeah. Like he was just saying shit. <laughs> ah, this, of course, leads us to the famous 97 Royal Rumble, where Austin would clean house. And, of course, we have the very famous image of Austin sitting on the turnbuckle, looking at his wrist tape, checking the time. And, of course, the second most famous moment from the 97 Royal Rumble, him hearing Bret Hart's music putting his head in his head, his hands in his on his head going, <laughs> Now, of course, Bret Hart eliminates Austin, but the official doesn't see it. Yeah. So he sneaks back in and eliminates Hart by throwing him over the ropes. Now, of course, yeah. this would lead us to, like, Final Four, which would be an in-your-house special, where it would be Vader, Taker, Hart, and Austin in a Final Four-way. Sid wins that. He goes on to face The Undertaker at WrestleMania. It is the submission match from WrestleMania 13 that we all remember, because it was the night... How does it feel remembering the fact that that match was on the same card as Sid versus Undertaker? (laughs) It's so silly. And I feel sorry for Taker, because that was his crowning glory. WWF champion, but it was he was kind of like quite possibly one of WWF greatest matches of all time. Yeah, and the now famous double turn where like Steve Austin became the beloved babyface, and uh, Brett became the disgusted like everyone wanted to kill you heel. Mm-hmm. What a match! I love this one not only because of the gimmick of Ted Shamrock, then UFC heavyweight. Well, I was going to say, because I feel like people forget the fact that Ken Shamrock was special. Yeah, I, I forgot that. <laughs> I forgot that until just now. And the, the visual and the storytelling of this match, I think it's the ending, isn't it? Where covered in the proverbial crimson mask, Austin is yep. screaming in pain. And he didn't tap, he passed out of the pain. Yeah. Yep. And that solidified him. Of course, we have the glancing images of like the very first instance of the glass smashing in the entrance frame with the Austin 316 and the glass shatters him walking out. That's the first time he used that, which is crazy. 
And so, yeah, oh. There you go. Instant hero, like Babyface made in that moment. Um, crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, this is where Austin becomes a made man and starts finally getting who she's ever so close on to the main event picture. But, but before that, he would end up having a couple of wins to the tag titles of the tag team championships on two separate occasions. Uh, Austin would hold the titles at one point with Shawn Michaels. Very <laughs> um, interesting. That it's crazy, isn't it? And then yeah. he ended up having a second reign with too long. I mean, of course. I mean, of course. That's and what. Do we have any promos of those two together? No, but there is such a famous picture Stone Cold with the most confused look on his face pointing at dude <laughs> I don't know if you two have seen that picture, but it always gets circulated every so often on Twitter. It's such an amazing it. image. <laughs> um, but after his tag team... Uh, Oh, I found it. I found the image. Sorry, everybody. I'm going to divert and derail this podcast to where I was because I found the image. <laughs> what have we got? What have we got? I love this image so much. There it is. <laughs> incredible. Oh, that's incredible. Why does Stone Cold in that picture look like an action figure? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he always looked like an action figure. He does have a real, like, perfect action figure. figure. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, he's the, like, the, you know, like, when they make cheap action figures and they use the yeah. same mould for each character. Basically, yeah. Austin is the mould of that. Of that. <laughs> that is absolutely it. <laughs> so, after his loss, he would then go on to feud with Owen Hart and they would end up having a classic Terribly in SummerSlam yeah. 1997, of course, as we all know how that ended. Steve, Palmer came round to bite him on the bum quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, as Owen lived in a sit down ended up stopping him on a vacation, having the exact same injury as he gave to Tony all those years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how they managed to finish it. Despite the fact that Austin himself was temporarily paralyzed, but he managed to roll up Owen and get the W for the Intercontinental Championship. It's crazy. Crazed. Unfortunately, he was he was he was made the relinquish championship and was off TV up to have next surgery and then he recovered. Now he was surprised apparently from what I heard it took but he came back pretty fast um he's a bionic redneck i don't know how he was able to do it and in september far too long to to get by the way (laughs) took me far too long to understand that nickname yeah (laughs) in september he comes back on the first draw that David Letterman had uh, which was following up on a few TV appearances, came Monday night, 
Oh wow. I then commentate an unassuming personality, Vince McMahon. What did Austin do? He stunned Vince McMahon. <laughs> and thus greatness was born. <laughs> and caused the New York crowd to go ape shit. Oh man. <laughs> And so begins a tale as old as time. Austin versus <laughs> Yes. And so Austin at the time was the general manager. He was the one that derailed Stone Cold's career. I believe he actually had an Owen 316 shirt at this time. And the back said, I just broke your neck. Apparently, Austin. Was not a big fan of that, but it wasn't Owen's idea. But unfortunately, oh. as most as most people know, part of the reason why Owen never really went into the main event is that Austin did harbour quite a bit of resentment towards Owen for the what for the for what had happened, which is a shame because from what I've heard, Owen was incredibly upset with what happened, and he he did not want it to happen. He was very apologetic for Steve as well. Yeah. IC champion. And this begins the very first rivalry with someone who would be destined to do it with him forever. No, not Vince. The Rock. Ah, uh, yes. This is the IC rivalry with him and The Rock. Rock at this time, of course, was part of the Nation of Domination. And of course, you were also give me one of my favourite lines. Um, one of my favourite moments when Austin is IC champion when Rock became champion after defeating Austin, probably the greatest damage continental champion ever. <laughs> I love it that Austin was on a bridge and decided to say, well, I don't care about this championship, you can take the hell with you and throws it into the ring. <laughs> in one of the greatest segments in wrestling history. God, I love, I love, just Throwing throwing things into into a river in wrestling never ceases to pop me. <laughs> so which I think it was Jim Cornette who was on commentary goes, ah, there goes the belt. <laughs> Just incredible. So- it has the moment of it has the moment of the rock going, go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. Love it so much. All right, we get finally we get to nineteen ninety eight. Oh, into the era of Austin. Austin is. And in WCW, Shawn Michaels and Steve Austin are set to be the two biggest names in the company. That all came falling apart in the 98 World Rumble with, with one big factor. Shawn Michaels suffered a complete debilitating back injury in his match against The Undertaker in a casket match. Unfortunately, Shawn Michaels' career was looking very, very in danger. And so, Royal Rumble comes around, Steve Austin is wins it and goes to WrestleMania to fight Shawn Michaels for the title. Now, a couple of contributing factors here before we get to this Mania match. We'll talk about it a bit more. This, of course, was the time where we saw Mike Tyson come into the WWF, the big mainstream of Phil, and one of the biggest moments at that time for Raw was that segment between Tyson and Austin, where Austin comes in, doesn't give a shit about Tyson, flips in the bird and just pushes it. And, of course, we get to say, Tyson, Austin! Austin! This is 
Incredible. Wrestling heritage. Wrestling heritage. Exactly. Um, Shawn Michaels at the time apparently didn't want to drop the belt. Like he was told that he should retire. going to be. He, he was told by doctors that he shouldn't even wrestle to begin with, so he did not wrestle until WrestleMania. But there was a time where he was going to do what he usually did, drop the title and walk home. Like this, and he wasn't even going to try and defend it against Austin. So who's Sean from doing that? The Undertaker, who told him in no uncertain terms, "You do that, I'm kicking your ass." Do you want me to <laughs> break your back again? And so we get to WrestleMania 14. Perhaps have you seen this match? And if you have, it is an absolute fucking classic. I have not seen this match, as a matter of fact. It is. An insanely good match. And you've got to consider how Sean was working with Roman Reigns at the time as well. We've got we've got Tyson as PF Enforcer as well. Mm-hmm. This was the mania as well where Shawn Michaels came out with the DX band playing Break It Down. That's well with mm-hmm. Jim Johnston on uh, on guitar. Hey. And so. <laughs> And so this match is actually really, really good. A good solid up to the 12, 14 minutes. Doesn't outstay its welcome. It's what I enjoy about this match. And it's fast for an pace is what I like. Both Sean and Austin, I think, complement each other very well in this match. But of course, we all know how this ends. Shawn Michaels goes for the sweeping music. It's reversed into a Stone Cold Stunner. With the ref out, Mike Tyson makes it through the ref. Steve Austin is your brand new WWF champion. Shawn Michaels. Absolutely distraught by the betrayal of Tyson, he's a DX member. Tyson decks him and knocks him the hell out. Apparently, Shawn Michaels beforehand was absolutely shitting himself. He told Tyson as much as Yeah, yeah. Getting a punt from nineties era Mike Tyson. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah that's a, that's a that's a deep no. No. And so we. At the Austin era as Jim Ross in the night preceding WrestleMania 14, and we get the tremendous rivalry between Austin and Vince. So, we all know the rivalry of Austin and Vince. I don't need to go into it so much. All I want to say to you is that is how good is this rivalry, and how bad is it that WWE has been wanting to replicate this since it Okay. Okay. Now we is really... imitation not this not the sign of greatness. Okay. This now we're really getting into this. We're really really getting into this. This rivalry is as nineties as Nirvana and gangster rap. Absolutely, it is up there. It is. It is the rivalry, frankly, mm-hmm. in WWE. Mm-hmm. Nothing has ever come close. Nothing ever will come close again. Yeah. It hit at the perfect cultural zeitgeist. Yeah. What is, rest, what is the 90s, if not a story of a man succeeding, a, a lone man succeeding against the man? <laughs> the, the great... The great fantasy of all the of all nineties office workers. Yeah, like because that's what it is. Yeah, it's oh, a, yeah. It's, 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 it's the boss of 
more than one occasion. It is, especially during that time where, like, I think this is where, God, this is where I really need to, this is where I need to learn my my history of America. <laughs> <laughs> of like of corporate america because the 90s is the era of like the height of office culture i believe if i'm yeah. thinking correctly yeah it like where especially now in you know the year 2020 it's on the definite downturn because <laughs> we're, in, we're entering a, a bold new era here but during the 90s that was it that yeah. was they've you know the the zenith the end of history if you will mm. Everyone, if you're a, you know, if you're a white middle class '90s person, is is feeling, you know, the the milieu, the milieu, if you will. And then you just have this guy doing what millions of people have always wanted to do, which is just punch their boss in the face. Just fuck it. Yeah, that's it. That is it. That is it. That, that is, is it. it. That and is... we and we look and we look to WWE trying to replicate that same thing, but also with zero understanding of the cultural zeitgeist. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I mean, how would you do that at this point? Now, we're in a very different era. Well, actually, they did. They did. It was CM Punk, and we know what happened there. Yeah. Well, so I was going to say. So obviously, we had CM Punk. I think. I think if you're going to do it now in 2022, it's kind of difficult because everything's a lot more like nebulous yes but i would i would say the the last thing that maybe approaches that term is maybe kofi mania mm. yeah yeah i'd agree with that yeah that that in terms of like yeah i agree with that actually because doing it now would involve a a character which is inherently left wing <laughs> succeeding yeah. in the face of right-wing principles yeah yeah and i don't think that's happening anytime soon <laughs> <sighs> yeah that is it isn't it for the longest time oh they got close but they've not they have never able to they have gotten very they have very they have gotten close and then they have done what Say what you will about about that feud. One thing I will grant creative and Vince McMahon, they didn't chick it out. Mm -hmm. They he like for better or worse, Vince McMahon fucking ran with that. Yeah. To degrees that are unprecedented for good reason, frankly. <laughs> Just they they and it just hits different it really really does. i mean this this entire rivalry lasted an entire calendar year and that's crazy to think about in today's name yeah wrestling. yeah and it, look who, look who had it up. Vince then sorting out the corporation basically kind of throwing things at austin so austin would you know have rivalries with what with pain the undertaker uh, mankind for a little time, as well as Dude Love when he came back as Dude Love. Then, of course, we also get Triple H as well. And all during all this time, Austin is screwing over Vince in the best way possible. Even at one time, Steve Austin became the CEO of WWF. Ah, uh, yes. 
Oh, those those that was so great. There's that. There's joint. There's joining the alliance. There's the the infamous beer truck moment. Yep. Yep. All of the above. Putting putting a forklift in Vince's limo, blowing up Vince's limo allegedly. The DX Express, the filling the car with cement. Just and this is this also place in the style of a, a couple of the brewers. Um, but as everyone knows, Austin took a big break in 1999. The Hill Club was niggling problems with his neck. Of course, the best way they wrote him off was um, him being run over. Which started a, a year long conspiracy of who ran over Stone Cold. Uh, he would have come back in 2000, and it was revealed Ratishi ran over Austin for The Rock. Uh, it wasn't actually for The Rock, Blake told Ratishi to run over Austin, which caused Austin to tip Triple H whilst he's in a limo up on a forklift and tip the limo over. <laughs> And somehow, Triple H managed to live, despite the, the entire limo kind of crush being crushed. <laughs> so, That's just the game for you. Here's the thing. Austin calls this whole conspiracy thing the worst two years he's ever... The worst storyline in the two years he ever experienced in his time in WWF. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why. But here's the thing I didn't realise when I was collating all this um, research notes. After his neck injury, when he came back, Steve wrestled for a combined 18 months before he had to retire. Mm. That's great. From 97 to 2003, it's a combined 18 months. That's crazy. Wow. And so, of course, we talk about, of course, we talked about it around 2017, and him for the first time in the old since he debuted turning heel. That would have caused Storm to go into the Alliance and the Invasion storyline with him being the monster heel. And then a yep. day later, after the UCW and ECW were defeated, Stone Cold went back to being heel. Uh, and that's where we see Stone Cold sort of kind of going down a little bit more on the card. Of course, yeah. 2002, the N40O come into the WWE and the, the match set up so that Austin would end up facing Hogan, the two icons of the WWF coming together finally to have a match. Now, depending on reports of what you hear, it varies between certain interviews and certain parties. Apparently, from what I've gathered, two main things always crop up when I talk about this. Austin was still quite resentful about Hogan and his time in WCW. Understandable. And and the other one is hearing is Austin didn't want to do it because both of them are old farts and they wouldn't put on a great match regardless at that time. Which, I don't know. Austin was in his mid to late 30s at this point. Mm -hmm. Hogan was hearing 50. I think if you could have pushed the boat, possibly you could have had a good match out with it. Yeah, I think... I think, like, I think that's a little unfair, especially to himself. Hogan, I understand, but, like, I, th I think he could have, you could have squeaked something out. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know about that one. And so, with that, we, we he ended up in Scott Hall, and I think in the third, the third yep. last match on the card, 
And of course, if anything gave, uh, came from this, it was a song us called uh, so called Stunner. It was brilliant. Oh, incredible. Ah, <laughs> uh, and so soon after, Justin and Sinclair Arthur would take a little bit of time off, rest up some injuries, as well as publicly saying he did not like the creative of the game. Apparently, he thought it was a load of horseshit. <laughs> oh, shit, son. Um, but he would end up coming back after the brand split um, to join the Raw brand. Uh, eventually having a few matches here and there, ending up having quite a good rivalry with Eddie Guerrero at the time, quite an unbreakable rivalry with Eddie Guerrero at the time. But the straw that broke the camel's back for Austin was a King of the Ring qualifying match, pitting him against Brock Lesnar. And this is where Austin went, okay, this just makes no sense. Why would you, you've got one of the biggest new talents that you've had on Raw, Going up against him on Raw on Monday night on free television. Not only that, but it's the King of the Ring. Yeah. A title yeah. that I do not need, and I won a few years back. Yeah. This was where Austin decided he was in WWE's word, take his ball and go home. As a matter of fact, Titty Parker that he was, he booked two plane tickets on company on the company database, on company money, to him and his wife, to go home <laughs> the day of the show. That's just awesome, though. Remember back when WWE actively actively did an Ultimate Warrior on Stone Cold Steve yeah, Austin for this? Absolutely, absolutely. They have tried... They have attempted to memory hold this fact for so long, but it's on record. Yep. I mean, McMahon goes out and does this whole thing like Graham Scott's amazing and he didn't want to be here. Like, he let you fans down, but you know, he's decided to go on and take a hiatus. Absolutely loved him. Then The Rock comes out. He was on SmackDown at the time, comes out of Raw, and absolutely buries the shit out of Austin. Yes. Wow, man. So, it's crazy. It wouldn't be too long, though. It would be actually the March. Oh, sorry, February of. 2003, where Austin would actually remain terminated and return. All of that stuff about taking his ball and going home has gone and out of the way. He would come back at No Way Out 2003 to face Eric Bischoff. Yep. Which, yep. again, I don't know if it was a storyline or in real life, but I imagine there was a little bit of catharsis there from seeing him. Oh, I bet it felt great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, this ends leads us to. Austin's last hurrah and we and his last match, the third encounter that he would end up having with The Rock at WrestleMania 19. And one of my favourite matches in that event. Um full of emotion as well. Um and a lot and full of kind of like really kind of stuff really piling up on Steve. And matter of fact, the day before WrestleMania 19, Austin was hospitalized during due to uh heightened heart rate and blood pressure. Um he knew going into this that this was it. And he this is last match. Yeah. The stress of everything that had happened to him the previous year of leaving and all thing all of those other things, as well as a bad case of mixing energy drink and coffee led to him 
pretty much almost going into cardiac arrest. Don't do it, kids. It's not safe. Apparently, he wasn't cleared until he got a third opinion from a doctor. Yeah. The day of. He would go, though, and have a match. A really great match, actually, despite everything. Um, defeated by The Rock. And as, as the story goes, The Rock after that, um, over Austin, after the victory when he won, told Austin, I love you. Thank you for all the times we've had together. And take the floor. <laughs> yeah. Like, like yeah. Because you got to remember how young The Rock is at this point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's something that everyone, and including me, forgets that he is like at this point, what pushing thirty? Yeah, I think I think we said when we did WrestleMania seventeen, they said that he was like twenty seven. Yeah, so he is. So by that, he's but twenty nine. Twenty nine years old, literally pushing thirty. That like Stone Cold has been in his has been like uh, one of the biggest people his entire adult life. Yeah. So. I don't blame him from getting emotional on that. Yeah. And so ends the wrestling career of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Of course, he would end up becoming an authority figure, the Sheriff of Wheel, coming down to the ring on an FTV. He would end up becoming <laughs> in the WrestleManias, the most infamous one being the Battle of the Millionaires at WrestleMania 23. Yeah. The only wrestler to stun a, to stun a president. <laughs> <laughs> the only wrestler to... Re- to- I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. technically Abraham Lincoln, the the guy who fought Abraham Lincoln. Four score seven years ago, I was stunned out of my head. I'll be honest though, I don't think I don't think someone was back in stunners in collegiate wrestling. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah, the only one, the only one. If they did, I'd watch it a lot more. Yeah, that's true. Uh, he would end up finally getting a Hall of Fame induction at WrestleMania twenty five. One of my favorite video packages of Hall of Fame. Yes, actually. of course, Hall of Personality. Love the use of Hall of Personality there. He would end up making some sporadic movie appearances as well. First being the WWE Studios sort of thing, before yeah. finally realizing, wait, maybe I'd be taken seriously if I don't go for the WWE. <laughs> so of course, he ended up making an appearance in The Longest Yard. Very um, good performance in that. Very good performance. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, it's it's actually kind of it's actually upsetting as a as a black wrestling fan. It's very upsetting hearing Steve Austin say the N word. It's yeah. like, it's it, it's like making a subtext that everyone just kind of ignores text, and it just it hits you. It hits different. I don't like that scene. It's a great it's a great performance. I don't like that scene. Mm. It's a great performance, but then you're there and you go, wait a minute, that shouldn't be so good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of course, one of Stone Cold's very, probably the most famous movie role he was in was, of course, himself in Smosh the movie. Oh, wait, no, there's The Expendables as well. I forgot about that. There's The Expendables and there's The Condemned. <laughs> also, let us not forget. <laughs> Why am I saying this? Let us not forget. His, uh, his appearance in the Bad Bunny music video as well. I mean, that's just bass, though. Yeah. <laughs> and let's, let's also not forget that um that The Good Place give him a shout-out as yes. the, only man, the only man who can reasonably wear jorts, which is 
True. Above the, the knee, only... may I add. The only yeah. man who can wear jorts above the knee. Yeah, absolutely true. So, what has Steve done since then? He's had a couple of uh, reality television shows. He's, yeah. You know, had a very successful podcast. He's now become a video podcast known as Broken Thought Sessions. He's got his own IPA, which of course seems to be like the absolute yeah. for Steve Austin. I don't know. I don't know because I don't drink beer myself, so I can't gauge what the Broken Skull IPA is. I, like. I have tried Broken Skull IPA. Have you? What, what is, is it, it like? like? I, I haven't had it. I've always wanted it. It is a surprisingly light and easy to drink IPA. Well, there you go. Because I want to have some of that, definitely. Steve Austin, of course, because of that, for promotion of that Broken Skull IPA, ended up being in an infamous BuzzFeed video of him trying out cocktails. Awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> and of course, this all leads to March the 7th, 2022, which WrestleMania 38 and Stone Cold Steve Austin is a special guest for the KO show with Kevin Owens. Kevin cuts bullshit and says, hey, Steve, I just want a match with you. And lo and behold, 19 years after he retired, Steve Austin has a match with Kevin Owens. And may I say, has one hell of a match because he takes four bumps in this. Mm. He, he actively upset me. It's like, it's like, no, Steve, don't do that, please. He must have trusted Owens enough for him to do that to him. <laughs> and boy, what a match! I was impressed. I enjoyed it. Yeah. It's nice to see Austin doing his thing again. You know, he, he had the as, I, as I said, it, it was it was a really like nice moment that was like um you know really good to see really good to see him there and and you know being able to wrestle and enjoying stuff and i think for him having that closure on his career yeah but it also just ever so slightly to me smelled of exploitation <laughs> yeah yeah Of his caliber, yeah. Cena, but I, I... <laughs> we will have to talk about Cena one day. We, we will. We that's we will. <laughs> and so that is where we end our little talk and a retrospective of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Well, son, one hell of a journey to one hundred episodes. What? Well, that's one hundred episodes, son. Oh, right. <laughs> All right, I'll do it one more time. Oh, hell yeah! Oh, hell yeah! yeah. I'm on my little bike. (laughs) What? I go from from on my little bike. Also, I have to say it. I have to say it before we end it. The Dry County um, promo is my favorite promo of all time. Yes. Yes. Can can I say this is maybe slightly controversial, but my arguably my favorite, my possibly my favorite Stone Cold promo is is the. Booker T, Chris Jericho, one beer, two beer, three beer, a margarita. <laughs> Why have one when I can have both of them? <laughs> that promotes so much. Look, I'm not going to end with a question because I think we could definitely say that the legacy of Steve Austin, I think, will live with professional wrestling for as long as professional yeah. wrestling lives. His impact and that's the, the bottom line. That's, no, that's not true. That's Stone Cold. 
<laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> that is where we're going to end it. Flipping hell, chaps. 100 episodes. Here's the 100 more. It's been, an, it's been so fucking cool doing this, and I cannot wait to do 100 more with you lot. And finally, as the world is opening up more, we can make more public appearances at wrestling shows. Yeah. 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 And then tell people to stop doing the watch on. What? Yeah. yeah, stop it. Even even Austin wants you to stop. Stop it. Come on. Come on. I I apologize. But absolutely nothing, although I do want to hear the shame from the pair of you that I just made a terrible joke. Come on, lay it on thick with me, you two. <laughs> you know, I will, I will shame you later right now. I am just so happy and ecstatic that we've reached 100 episodes. Yeah, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. I can't believe it. I'm just sat here just like, man, we, we really did this. Yeah, we really, really, honest to God, made it here. Oh. And... Well, think... fellas, it's been... A freaking pleasure to do this. As I said, we'll be back with Pride Month next week. We're back to regular scheduled programming. Yes. So cold and ally. <laughs> but until next time, I have been Sam. This has been Dan and Reardon. You've been listening to the Sweet Chin Brad podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Here's the hundred. Hey! Oh hell yeah, son! What? What? Oh, 100 episodes! <laughs>